Yeah, hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, I take the time to speak with Richard Amon, who is the CEO of Disability Sport and Recreation. So they are a charity and doing a lot of good work about providing people that have disabilities with the opportunity to get active and get involved. And I found it a really enjoyable interview because it was a sector that I wasn't familiar with very much at all. And I really like to think there's some great leadership takeaways for you in this interview. So happy listening. And once again, feel free to uh, head over to iTunes or Stitcher. would really love to hear what you're thinking of the podcast. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome Richard to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, be a part of the show. So everyone has a little bit of context about who you are and uh, where you are right now. Can you just uh, share a little bit about yourself? Oh, thanks, Julian. Um, great to be here and being a part of your, your podcast. I'm the, I'm the current CEO of Disability Sport and Recreation. We're, a, we're an organisation that looks to transform the lives of people with disability by getting them involved in sport and recreation. So we're an organisation that's been around for a long time, over 55 years. And so we, we really would try to work with the, the members of the, the population who have a disability to try and make it easy for them to become active in sport and recreation, really to transform their lives, to give them health, to give them a better, a better purpose, a better meaning in their life so that they can lead the best life that's possible for them. Great. And is there an interesting fact that you can share with the, the listeners that they may not know about uh, Disability Victoria? Well, just to clarify the term, we're disability sport and recreation, so we don't have Victoria in our title, although we are largely focused on the state of Victoria. Um, we were born, as I said, from uh, the, the first 1960 Paralympic Games in Rome, where our founding father, Kevin Coombs, was one of the participants in, in those games. And he came back and he thought, I really need to create a club or a system or a process that's going to enable more people to participate in this wonderful thing called the, the Paralympic movement. So he started a club. Um, essentially, they were a club designed to raise funds so they could continue to participate in these games, but also to develop the future sports people to, to make it easier for them to participate. So that club eventually became Wheelchair Sports Victoria, and about 10 years ago, it's evolved into the organisation that it is today, which is disability sport and recreation. So we cover both sport and recreation, and we cover a range of disability types, not just wheelchair sports. So I'd like you to take you back in your leadership journey, all the way back to your very first leadership role. Uh, can you give me a little bit of context about what that was? My very first role where I had some responsibility of, of others was um, in the Ultimate Sporting Club. Uh, this is a, a commercial gym in the area of, uh, of Melbourne where it was seeking to, I guess, in, engage people in becoming active in the health club environment and really was a money-making exercise to be able to, to make, a, make a profit on that. It was a, a family commercial business. My, my role in that was I started off being a, an instructor in the gym, but eventually became the centre manager um, and looking after a whole range of processes and practices within that environment. 
So I was responsible for um, maintenance policies, for staff um, supervision, for rostering, setting the direction, reviewing the sales processes and trying to make that more efficient and more reliable. And it was really outside of my comfort zone because I was I was trained as a sports scientist and that was my, my passion. And my, my passion was about improving people's health through being physically active. But all of a sudden I had to adopt a whole range of processes and work um, activities that were quite foreign to me. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a challenge, but um, I really enjoyed it. Okay. And what were some of the mistakes you think you made in your first role? Well, I think um, there were quite a few mistakes because as, as I described, I was quite new to, to, to being a manager and there really wasn't any training. It was more a matter of you seemed to show a bit of initiative and uh, a passion for being, uh, for excellence and for, for getting great results um, out of the work that you do. So I applied a lot of those principles to it, but um, I, th I think ultimately I, I worked really hard on, on getting people to achieve the most that, that they could achieve, um, but I really didn't have any proper systems or, or practices behind me, so it was it was a, a matter of making it up as you go. So I think I learned that to be an effective leader, you really needed a lot more systems and, and, and processes and knowledge behind you, which at that time uh, I really didn't have. And what about some of the successes you had in that role? Well, I think I found that a career in management and leadership was something that was possible for me, although I hadn't really even considered it at that time. I really thought I was just going to be a, a sports scientist and working uh, mostly with elite sport and, and trying to help people get the best, become the best they could be. And I really hadn't considered a life of leadership to be a part of my, my future career path. So to me, that was a, a success that I, that I thought that that, was, that that was possible. And I think I found that I had a, a keen interest in people and helping them develop their potential and from the staff that I was leading and, and helping helping guide uh, in my management role at that time, I found that I had a real interest in that and I found that that gave me a lot of satisfaction. So I think I, I found that that, that was a, a potential future work opportunity for myself that, that was really an idea that I didn't really know that I had at that time. Was there any one thing that really... Uh when you mentioned about uh, you becoming, you know, getting that clarity around having the, or deciding that leadership was for you, was there any one moment or, or one thing that happened where you thought, oh, this thing, this leadership game's for me? It didn't really happen at that time because the, the, the actual role uh, was didn't have a satisfactory conclusion at, at, the, at the role. Um, yeah. In the end, it was a family business and, and when the, the owner's son wanted to come back into the work environment, uh, the job that he wanted was my job. And even though I'd been there for around 12 months and had been reasonably successful, uh, the decision was that, that I had to go. So in, in some ways, it, it, it disillusioned me from the world of, of, of commercial operations and, and, and leadership. So in some ways, it was a bit of a disincentive to, to think that uh, that was going to be a, a future career for me. So it was, it was only further down the track uh, a number of years later that, that I really decided that, that leadership was, was something that was going to be a, a career path that I wanted to follow. Sure. And what impact do you think you had on some of the people that uh, worked for you? I think what, what I bring to all of my work is, is a passion for excellence and trying to find the best way to do things. And, and if you don't know an answer, to find out that answer. So I really applied a principle of, of, of working hard and trying to demonstrate to others that if you work hard and you seek assistance and resources, if you don't have them, then you can achieve amazing things. So I found that it was only by adopting those principles and people learning from that that other people are able to learn that if I don't know the answer, 
I'll find it out and I'll learn from you about your, your work practices and your behaviours. And, and I think the, the concept of trying to be better at everything that you do, it was, it was a real principle that I was able to apply and, and demonstrate to the people that I was, that I was leading. So you've had your first taste of a leadership role. It hasn't actually ended the way you wanted it to, but you, you've moved on. So what was your, your next uh, taste of leadership? Well, from then on, I, I was really, as I said, I was a bit disillusioned about the whole industry and I, and I, I undertook a number of part-time jobs in a number of different industries just to, to further my interest in, in other areas of, of work and just to see whether there were other possibilities that were there out there for me. But I did end up taking a role as a part-time lecturer, uh, lecturing in exercise prescription and exercise physiology, which was which was my my core interest at the beginning of my studies, and that really taught me that I have a great interest in helping other people learn. And so, from being a, a lecturer, I really understood and really found out that people have a great passion for learning, and if you can help them learn, you can really help them achieve their potential in their life, which which was really terrific for me. So I, I found out that uh, I needed to go back and do more study because I'm a great believer that if you're going to teach something, you really need to be as, as educated as you can about that. So I went back and did some more study and ended up having a part-time job at the sports centre at Melbourne Uni as a, as a part of my work experience in that further study. And from that, a similar pathway happened as what happened in my first job where I started off being a gym instructor, ended up becoming manager of the gym, ended up becoming manager of the whole sports centre and ultimately ended up becoming acting director of the Melbourne University Sports Centre. So I was there for about eight years and that, and that was that was my, my second major leadership experience and it really gave me, again, another, another great taste of, of being able to help people achieve their potential about achieving a vision for an organisation. Okay. Can you give a little bit of context about that, that role and number of reports and, and things like that, number of people working for you? So within that role, I mean, I had a number of different roles as it progressed through, but my main role was, was the manager of the, of the, the sports centre itself and that was looking after three direct reports and yeah. responsible for the different areas with, within that centre. And within that, I undertook a number of training to try and improve my understanding and knowledge about how to become a, an effective leader and uh, I did a number of short courses in supervising people, in frontline management and being able to, to adopt some of the principles about how to lead people and how to align them to a vision and, and a passion. And, I found that through those through those principles and practices, I really found out that really understanding people is 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 one of the core principles of leadership, and, and trying to understand the reason why people tick and what's important to them. So, I was able to really apply those principles in, in that environment because we were all working in similar things. We were all working in sport, we were in, in recreation, trying to make the best outcome for the people that we were serving. So there's a really common bond and a common element around the people that I was working with. But I think importantly, it was always, always that pursuit of excellence and trying to think, well, what's out there that could be better? What's out there that could be different? What can we learn from others to help make this centre operate in, in the best way that it can be? So throughout my career, and this was a great example, it wasn't just about developing people, but it was about developing the, the environment that you're working in so that that business, that organisation can be the best that it can be. And it's only through that combination of having the best people and being aligned to a vision is going to help you achieve that, that ultimate end result where that organisation can be the best that it can be itself. But do you think that having some previous leadership experience helped you in that role at all? I think it helped me with the understanding about people and them being aligned to their own particular 
passion and purpose. I think what I, what I found from the previous role that I had was, was that people are very passionate about their own little world. And I think as a leader, you really need to be able to, to buy into that world and find out what makes someone tick and what's really important to them. And I think, I mean, what, what we had at the centre was people who were looking after either the, the gym, and, and I remember our, our, our gym coordinator was an ex-bodybuilder and was just passionate about improving people's lives through exercising with weight training. And that was his passion, and that was what really drove him. And so it was, it was being able to foster that, that passion and being able to make sure that that was maximised in his work really allowed a, a, a greater result to be achieved. So I think one of the key learnings that I had from the experience of working in that centre was really being able to understand each individual and trying to work out what drove them and really trying to support them in achieving their goals. And any significant successes for you in that particular role? Well, from, a, from an organisational perspective, I was really able to transform the business into a, a completely different organisation from what it was when I started. It had this amazing potential with 40,000 new customers coming to the, the university every year, a lot of them wanting to potentially get involved in sport and recreation. But there was a huge ability to commercialise that. You know, the rates that we were charging were, were almost next to nothing. And we had thousands of students that were coming through this centre every year and utilising the facilities. And the university really hadn't maximised that opportunity. So if you look back now, I often go up there to the, to the university, um, which is around the corner from where I'm working now, and you can see a completely different environment that's there. And, and they're, they're still using a rebranded logo that was done in my time that was there. And I see it as a really great example about some way my legacy is still living on there and, and you can see the, the whole way that the business has been transformed into a, a really commercially orientated fitness and leisure environment that really didn't exist at that time. So it really, I was really the starting point of being able to transform that business in, into a, a modern, well-functioning health and leisure environment. So that was a real success story. But also some success stories in, in being able to consolidate the organisation around a particular brand and a style and, 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 a, and an ethos about how it went about things and, and a pursuit of excellence. So that was really pleasing to, to be the starting point of that and again to see that still in practice today um, is really pleasing to see. Any unfinished business there? Well I guess at, as I mentioned earlier, I was acting director there for the last four months of my time there. Um, the previous director left and, and I was appointed as the acting director and it really raised my thought processes about what was possible for me as a leader. I hadn't really thought about myself as taking on a role of that calibre and I really thought that I wasn't quite ready for it, but having spent four months in the role, it really gave me the confidence to actually apply for the role. So I applied for the role and ultimately I was unsuccessful in that role. but it really illustrated to me that, well, there are other possibilities out there in life if you put yourself out there, if you want to continue to learn and to educate yourself. And it really opened up a whole world of opportunity for me to, to consider what else is possible in my career. So although I was unsuccessful, I really saw that as some unfinished business for myself to really push myself to, to other environments of being successful in my career. So you've had some experience in terms of taking your leadership skills from one place to another. Let's fast forward a little bit to, to here. So you're in your current role of CEO of Disability Sport and Recreation. Can you give a little bit further context of what that role entails? 
Well, the current role, it, it's, it's quite a, a big responsibility. We're, we're an organisation, as I said, that's, that's been around for a long time and there's some real ownership of that that history and that culture of that organisation to make sure that it can continue to survive. So there's a real responsibility to, to generate a whole range of, of, of revenue streams to ensure that we can continue to survive. We, we receive limited amount of money from the government and from various grants and, and, other, and other sources. But our, our main focus is, is on donations from the community, sponsorships um, and different business partnerships that we have to, to try and make sure that we survive. So there's really a multi-pronged aspect to the leadership of the organisation and one is to ensure that we're financially sustainable, but the core is that essentially ensuring that we deliver what we need to deliver and that is to improve the lives of as many people with a disability as possible. So there's a real balancing act between making revenue and also making sure that we achieve the goals and the objectives that the organisation is there to achieve. Sometimes they're aligned and, and sometimes they're not. So it's, it's, it's a real challenge in trying to, to bring all those aspects together. I imagine that would be a real challenge, that balance. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, what we're doing at the moment is, is we're going through a, a whole transformational exercise where we're looking at a whole value proposition that we have for a number of our products. And the key aspect is trying to make sure that we develop products and systems that potentially could be revenue generating for us, but are, are also true to our core mission. One of our core missions is to make an environment where it's easier for someone with a disability to become active. And one of the, the biggest aspects of that is community attitudes and behaviours. So one of, our, one of our biggest objectives is to really improve community understanding and awareness about what's possible for someone with a disability. So we have a number of initiatives at the moment. We reach 20,000 school kids with a, a disability awareness program. And that, that is a, a program that uh, generate some revenue for us, it creates some employment for some of our presenters who have a disability and present on that program. But ultimately, it increases the community the community understanding and awareness about what's possible for someone with a disability. So that when they're next uh, presented with someone who has a disability, either in a club or in a sports centre environment, they're much more accommodating to that person. And that's one of the key barriers to participation. So that's one example where we're raising the community understanding and awareness, but we're also generating some revenue. So at the moment, we're developing a number of training packages for school teachers, for leisure centre professionals, and also ultimately for executives who are willing to learn about how they can maximise their potential in life by learning some of the lessons of some of the, the people who've been able to demonstrate success in their own personal lives by being able to be successful in sport despite the difficulties that they may have had by having a disability. So the idea is to try and create a connection between serving our ultimate purpose, but also creating products and services that generate some revenue for us. A fine balance, I'd imagine. Yeah, it is a fine balance, but it means that we need to be quite targeted in what we're doing and quite specific about maximising the benefits of what we have at sitting at our, at our footsteps is about the, the intellectual property that we have, the, the value that we have in the experiences that we've been able to, to observe in, in the people who've been through our systems and being able to, to develop successful and really um, productive lives that are great lessons for the whole rest of the community to learn from. And what, what are you learning about yourself as a leader as you go through uh, this current role and, and you're faced with these challenges that we've just been speaking about? I think what's really important is to have a, a 
clear vision and a, and a purpose for the work that you do. I'm finding that by aligning people to the goal of what we are trying to achieve is a really critical aspect about having people working as hard as they can, people willing to put in an extra effort, trying to engage with people to, to achieve the results that we achieve, only by being aligned to the, the, the mission and the vision and the values that, that we have as an organisation. So I think what I'm finding really important is being able to articulate that vision and what we're trying to achieve and having other people coming on board for the ride and being part of that vision because ultimately we're a small team that we have to achieve amazing results with limited resources and we need to be able to have our staff aligned with that vision and being able to have maximum output for their efforts and being able to engage with others to come on board with us and partner with us and be part of our story about what we're trying to achieve. And so as a leader, you really need to be able to strongly articulate that vision and, and get people aligned with it so that they can come on board and help you support in being able to achieve what you're trying to achieve. And how many in your team? So at the moment, we've got a, an EFT of around 14 or 15 people, and that includes uh, quite a big fundraising team who are, who are out there uh, generating income through donations and work at that regard, but also the, the, the team who are out there developing our products, our services, and trying to achieve the outcomes that we're trying to achieve through encouraging people to become more active through sport and leisure. So there's a whole range of activities that we do, either in the hospital environment, with camps that we do for, for kids. We run a number of events throughout the year where we're seeking to, as I said, not only generate revenue, but demonstrate what's possible for someone with a disability. And we're also a peak body for the sector. So we, we seek to play that role within the sector. So we coordinate a number of committees and organisations to try and bring together a, a shared vision amongst our sector and we run an awards system every year celebrating excellence and quite a big festival, community festival each year to try and demonstrate what's possible amongst the number of other organisations who are working in this space. So it's quite a busy work environment with all those things going on and every year when we look back at what we've achieved throughout the year and people ask you, well, you must have a team of, uh, of 20 or 30 people who are achieving all those results. But we don't, we have a small team and we've been, we have a, a great output from that team um, purely by having them being aligned strongly to our vision and working as hard as they can to, to achieve the best results. And what would you say your greatest strengths are as a leader? I think what I try and bring to a, to a role is a, a commitment for excellence and a commitment to, to, to learning and to find out what's possible to try and make the environment that you're in to be the best it can be. And that environment can be from a personal level, how can someone personally become the best that they can be, or how can the organisation become the best that it can be by learning new principles, new practices, new systems. So I, I bring along a, an approach of continually learning and continually learning from what's out there to become better. And by bringing that approach to people, I, I bring an organisation that allows itself to continually test itself, to, to bring new ideas onto the table, to try and test things, to research, and to try and make sure that you can adopt these practices to become the best that you can be. So very much data-driven. As, as I said, I'm originally a sports scientist, so I love data and I love being able to look at things and to try and analyse and examine where gaps are and improvements need to be made. So I'm really trying to give to people a, a practice and a, and a philosophy about how do I become the best that I can be 
and let's use the, the knowledge that's out there to, to make that as easy as possible. And anything you're not so strong at? I think uh, with, with the passion that I have and, and, the, and the hard desire to achieve so many things, uh, I'm probably not so good at saying no. <laughs> I probably overcommit myself to uh, probably too many tasks at the one time. And so I think that there's probably a need for a bit more regular uh, revision of, of what we're doing and, and being able to refine that to what we can do well rather than trying to do a lot of things only only adequately. It's, it's really important, I think, to do things of, of a high standard um, because they're the ultimately they're the demonstration about the work that you do in the community. So if people can see high standard of, of excellence in, in the products that you offer, then it, it's a greater opportunity for them to become aligned to you and to, and, and to want to buy in and potentially support you. Okay, so we've got a, a bit of a better understanding about your, your leadership journey so far. I wouldn't mind exploring some more general views on leadership, if you don't mind. And uh, I want to start by asking, what do you think the biggest myth about leadership is that you've come across? Well, I think the biggest myth is that, is that the concept that people think they're born leaders. It, it's, it's, it's a real um, bugbear of mind that everyone has the potential to be a leader if, 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 uh, if that's what they desire. And I've been doing a lot of reading recently about you know, the, the, the practices of leadership and, and the practices of, of human potential and what's possible. And you really find out that we're all capable of absolutely amazing things. And I think if you give someone a chance, you give them the, the right environment, you give them the right support, the right training and the right culture, then people can do amazing things. So I think one of the, the biggest myths, as I said, was that people aren't just born into leadership. I think people become leaders through the right approach, through the right support, through the right training, and people can, can achieve amazing things. And I've seen that a number of times in my career where people have been given a chance at a leadership role who other people might not have thought that they were capable of. And before you know it, if they give them the right support and the right guidance and the right, the right training, within a short period of time, they're, they're amazing leaders. And so there's, there's really the, the power of the possibility of the human potential is something that really fascinates me and, and I'm really passionate about. And you see great examples of that within the leadership space. And how would you describe yourself as a leader right now and, and why? Well, it's quite complex because uh, the organisation is continually transforming itself. Uh, it's got to reinvent itself so that it continues to be relevant and needs to continue to be financially sustainable. And it also needs to make sure that it's continually relevant to its members and to the people that it's trying to serve. So I see myself as being a, a, a transformational leader in, in a lot of senses, being able to take the organisation and, and take it to another place that's better than what it was before and more effective than it was what it was before. But you need to do that in quite a strategic way. You need to do that in quite a, a way that engages and brings other people along for the ride. I'm not a great believer in, a, in an autocratic leader who just said, this is my way or this is the, this is the highway. It's a really important aspect to, to bring people along for the journey. And sure, I might provide guidance and, and strategy and, and, and uh, opportunities and, and suggestions, but ultimately the people that you work with uh, are the biggest people who are going to deliver that strategy and so they need to be strongly aligned with that vision. So I see a very important aspect of my role as being able to ensure that the small team that I have is well aligned to what we're trying to achieve and we're continually referencing that in the work that we do because I think there are, there are great opportunities to, to go off the rails in some sense and, and head off in directions that aren't true to your core 
and we've got to continually bring ourselves back to, to the reason that we exist to make sure that we're serving the people that we want to serve. And uh, what are the positive leadership traits that you display? Well, I think I, I show a great passion for, as I said, for excellence and for people to, to becoming the best they can be. But I really demonstrate a way of, of getting in and working hard and getting my hands dirty. I love getting involved in, in all aspects of, of the work that we do. And I see a leader as someone who nothing is too is too low for them to get involved with. If, For example, we, we had some storm damage here recently within our building and I turned up and there was damage everywhere and and I was the first, one of the first to get involved with getting the brooms out, getting the swe- sweeping things up, getting getting my hands involved with with trying to to get the, the situation back to normal. So I, I see a great leader as someone who they see no role is, is is beneath them. So a great example is is I mean Richmond Football Club had their premiership last year, and, and one of the principals was when they were finishing the training sessions, the captain went in, he helped clean up the locker room afterwards. And, and and that's a great example where where great leaders there's no there's no role that's that's beneath them and and it's only through a um, a great team effort for all aspects of what you do that you need to to get involved with everyone in, in your organisation and demonstrate that everyone's important every single cog in the wheel is is, is critical to to being successful so I've really made a, a an aspect of my role here to to get to know the other parts of the organisation and spend a lot of time with the other parts of the organisation that are critical to our success, such as our fundraising team, who, when I came here, they were considered a, a sort of a separate part of the operational team, but we really worked hard to, to bring them both together so we both understand what we're doing, because ultimately we both are, are critical to the success of the, the organisation moving forward. And what impacts do you think that has on your team, having a leader that's prepared to get in and, and contribute where, where they can? Well, I think they can see that I'm demonstrating that that I can be open and 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 available for discussion at any time. You know that there's no closed door policy. I can pretty much get involved in in all aspects of the business. But I think so people can can see that they can come and approach me about any idea and suggestion. But ultimately, what I do is I you know I value other people for their roles and their and their and their ideas. And so it's a balance of me being there to help and facilitate and support. But ultimately, it's it's a matter of supporting them in their roles that they're undertaking so that they have the confidence to be able to, to try new things, to, to be able to experiment and that I'm here to help support them in, in that journey. So it's very important to make sure that you're working with people and communicating with them regularly and really understanding how what support they need to, to achieve what they can achieve. And I'm always curious when I talk to, to leaders if there's any particular methodologies, frameworks, tools, models that they subscribe to, that they use, that they see value in? Well, there's a whole range of models and, and tools out there. And, and in preparing for today, I was just reading a little bit of, of, of um, some of those principles. And, and one quote that, that I saw was, was really quite important. And it was actually by Einstein. So he was, you know, he was a pretty smart person. He said that everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. And so that means if there's a tool that works and it's simple to apply and it's simple to, to reproduce on a, on a regular basis, then I think that's really valuable. And one of, one of, the, one of the learnings that I had throughout my career is um, for a while I was at the city of Casey for 10 years in, in their, managing their sport and leisure department. And we went through the leading teams uh, approach where, where they came in and, and they, they helped improve the, 
the culture and, and the and the leadership philosophy and practices at the at that organisation. And one of the things we learned there was a principle called keep, stop, start. And it was a simple process where you bring your team together and it might be around an issue or a concept and okay, let's have a look. What do we want to keep doing? What do we want to stop doing? And what do we want to start doing? And it's a really simple methodology that you can apply when you're doing a review um, at any time of the year. And it, eventually we had this situation where we said, okay, let's just have a keep, stop, start meeting about this topic. And so that's a great way of generating discussion and really just refining what's what's needed to move forward. And another one was uh, the GROW model, where you're looking at a problem and how are we going to resolve that problem. And the GROW model, for those who aren't aware of it, is simply looking at if you've got an issue, what are your goals? What's the reality about that situation? What are your options? And then what's the way forward? So it's really just trying to simplify the process of, of analysing a problem and coming up with a solution moving forward. And sometimes you can use that GROW model really quite successfully by the engagement with the person that you're working with and try to have them to come up with the answers and you're just helping to facilitate and to coach and to try and to, to see whether they can see the solution that they already knew about but they hadn't really explored without having gone through that tool. So those two really simple tools, the Keep, Stop, Start and the GROW model, is, is something that I, that I apply quite regularly and I found them to be quite quite useful. So uh, what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is currently as we uh, start off 2018? Well, I think I've described earlier our biggest challenge is, is our financial sustainability. And so we're really going through a, a, a rigorous process at the moment of looking at our whole, our whole product ecosystem which is a term that, that I learned uh, just fairly recently through the, the Daniel Priestley Key Person of Influence program. And, and I think what we're doing is we're trying to look at all of our, our opportunities to raise revenue with the intellectual property that we have. And as I said to you earlier, we've got to really make sure that those revenue generating opportunities remain true to our core and the reason that we exist. There's no point generating something that, that just raises money for the sake of it. We've got to raise money with a purpose of continuing to develop the opportunity for people to become active in sport and recreation for people who have a disability. So it's got to be something that not only raises revenue, but also helps to support the mission and the vision about why we exist. And that's quite a complicated process. It's quite a delicate uh, balancing act to try and come up with some ideas and, and products that might fit those, those parameters. But we've had a few that have, that have been in development during this year and, and a few that we're in development for next year that I think I'm really excited about where they can take us. And we have some three new board members and our first female chair who's just come uh, been appointed uh, towards the end of last year. So I'm really excited about the future that, that is going to uh, come towards in 2018 as we develop these products, but also maximise the, the benefits of a, a new and, and revitalised board to help support us. And how would you say that you measure your success as a leader? Well, I think as a leader, one of, one of your biggest responsibilities is trying to establish a culture within your team that aligns people to that. And you can look at a whole number of examples about a positive culture and seeing what the traits are of a, of a, of a really positive culture within an organisation and the sort of behaviours that, that people demonstrate who have a positive culture within their environment. And so I look at a number of those traits and, and try to identify 
are they the sort of things that I'm seeing on a daily basis? Is, is it the sort of things that, that people are demonstrating in being able to remain true to what we what we are here to, to achieve and our work commitments and our work outputs and, and our behaviours? And I think by being able to observe those and, and to see whether we're being successful in those is, is a great reflection on, on yourself as a leader. So I think I, I, I see myself each day when you walk in the door, you know, a leader builds culture fresh every day. And it's something that I'm continually working on to try and generate a positive culture within the team. So as far as a reflection on whether I'm being successful in that, I'm continually looking at all those principles about how hard people are working, their collaboration, their teamwork, their ability to, to bring other people up who, who may be down for, for a moment, their ability to success to celebrate success together, and all those sorts of things that demonstrate a positive culture. If I can see them, then, then I know that I've been successful. But ultimately, when we reflect back and we look on what we've achieved through the year and our feedback from members and our feedback from our supporters, to me, that gives me the, the, the true reflection about what we're achieving and seeing the, the outcomes from the people who we're helping, that's that ultimate measure of success because I've been able to be in the fortunate position of seeing people who've been involved in our camps, who've been involved in our programs, and having people come to me and educating me that they've had the best experience of their life, or we've been able to give them a reason to, to get out of bed every day and to give them hope and purpose in, in what they do. And so there's a huge satisfaction about being able to be part of that process where you're delivering really transformational life outcomes for people. And how do you look to build capability within your leaders, within your team, and also your employees? Well, as I said, we've got a pretty small team, and, and, and we, we take on big projects, and we just put our head down, bum up, and we just get stuck into it. So within our team, I'm, I'm a big believer in assigning responsibilities to people to try and test them and to, to see whether they're capable and to, and to really support them in, in, in achieving those outcomes. So. Part of leadership development is is to try and, and give people opportunities for success in, in areas which they may not have been uh, successful in previously and, and giving them a chance. And you need to be prepared for failure sometimes because that might not always be the, the most optimal way forward. But I found in most cases when you give people a, a high, position of higher responsibility or a position of, of higher complexity, then they, they, they really take that on board in a really positive sense. As long as you're able to provide support, guidance and assistance where required and check in with them regularly and, and really make sure that you're there to provide the, the support that you need to as the, as the ultimate leader, then I think it's amazing what the results that you can see out of the people that you're leading. So within that context, we provide training when it's required. Um, we share resources and information. And, and we really try and make sure that we can tap into, into other areas of support to help people uh, achieve the things that they need to achieve to help them ultimately develop their careers. And sometimes the, the reflection of success is people who develop greater leadership capabilities and greater strengths of, of character and, and capability and going on to other positions in other organisations. So Sometimes you hear that the concept about the amount of people who've been maintained in an organisation for a long period of time is a great measure of success. I don't entirely agree with that because I think sometimes a great measure of success is being able to develop people and be very happy and comfortable when they've moved on to positions of higher responsibility. So I've had a number of people in my career who've been able to go through that process and I really get a lot of satisfaction about seeing other people move on in their career to, to higher positions of responsibility and, and outputs.
And I wouldn't mind hearing your uh, your thoughts on networking. It's an area where I believe a lot of leaders don't necessarily put as much effort as I think they should. So, so what are your sort of views on networking and how do you approach it? Well, networking, it's it's within this current role, it, it's absolutely critical. It, it's in my previous roles, it, it's it was a bit more more insular, I suppose, in a lot of respects. But in my current role, partnerships and, and networking is absolutely critical because we simply can't achieve everything that we want to achieve with our limited resources. So we need support from, from businesses, from other organisations who, who are doing work that would assist us or we can do work that assists them. So I've made it a real key aspect of my role to really develop a number of partnerships with other organisations to ensure that we can continue to help the people that we serve, but also to, to also help other organisations to become aligned with us. So. Part of that has been really active and being out there about promoting the work that we do. I've been really active and, and, and really um, uh, supportive about the LinkedIn platform as a way of, of demonstrating the, the value in the work that we do. And also I've been amazed by, by the, the sort of level of resources that you get from being active on, on that platform. The amount of people who I've been able to make contact with, who I've had a number of meetings with, who have been very free and open with their time and expertise to really help guide us on our journey of becoming the best organisation that we can be. There's so much help that's out there if you just put yourself out there and, 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 and almost ask for it. it it'll, it'll come to you in spades if you're prepared to put in the work. And that's been you know, a, a great example of being able to network. But the other one is, is going along to a number of events and, and activities and, and just being there and being open to discussions with other people who you might not know and I'm, I'm generally not the most social of people. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more of a, an introvert in a lot of ways, but I'm really being able to, to force myself to, to get out there, to talk to people, to find out what's passionate about their career and their work and see where the, the commonalities are and see where I can learn from them. And it, it's amazing what, what people are prepared to offer you at very limited, at almost no cost in most senses about their work and what they can do and how they can help you in your journey. So I'd encourage all, all leaders to, to attend as many events as they can, um, to talk to as many people as you can, to tell your story and, and to see where you can help others and then ultimately they'll be able to, to help you. And one of the other things I'm personally very passionate about is mentoring. I, I tend to have a view that you know, every leader should be a mentor as well as uh, have a, a, a mentor. So what, uh, what are your views uh, on mentoring? I agree. Mentoring is incredibly powerful. We actually ran a program last year for our 12 of our young leaders with a disability, and we were very keen to see well, where are the next the next leaders going to come from who have a disability. Because I'm a strong believer that we need to to upskill the the talents and capabilities of of the people that we're trying to help, so ultimately they can they can help themselves. So we undertook a, a 12 month program where we had 12 leaders. In, in the youth sort of space and we assigned them to mentors who met with them once a month and was able to teach them a whole range of uh, practices about themselves and how they lead and how they communicate and what's their passion and what's how do we make sure they can be the best they can be and that was an incredibly useful process for them. At the end of the 12 months we had 12 people who were completely different people from when they started that journey. So I've seen firsthand the value of what that mentoring process can be to someone who's on the start of their journey. But I think it's really important that as leaders, you, you never finish learning and, and you can always learn from experience. And so 
it's probably one thing I'd like to do more of is, is, is adopt a leader and a mentor who can help me in my journey. And an example of that, it's not just someone who's had 30 years experience and has got a lot to tell. I think there's a lot to learn from mentors from different age groups and perspectives. I was, in, I was listening to a podcast recently that was interviewing uh, Jan Owen and she said that everyone over 45 should have a young mentor that they could relate to. And so now I've, I've linked up with a young mentor who's a real go-getter in her industry. She's in her 20s but is a real go-getter and I'm meeting up with her quite regularly now as a bit of a standing board about how I can learn about people from that age bracket who can be a benefit to my industry uh, and, and my personal development. And also she's learning from me in what I can add to, to her understanding about what older people uh, need to learn and need to and what, what, what they can offer as far as development. So I think there's benefits in, in, in being able to have feedback from others who are able to challenge you and give you different perspectives because ultimately you'll take that back to your, your current role and you'll be a better leader as a result of it. That's a really interesting perspective on, on mentoring, the, the, the age perspective. I have to give that some more thought, I think. So uh, what does the future hold for you? Well, I think what, what, I've, what I've done over the, over the recent two years that I've been in, in the current role and also looking at, as I said earlier, I've started to dabble in, in the, the key person of influence practices and, and, and programs. And that's tried to set up a way where I can be a leader that has a much greater influence. And that might be setting up a podcast like you're doing with me today, uh, perhaps writing a book, perhaps being, uh, being able to put myself out there as someone who might be going speaking engagements. And so to do all those sorts of things, I'm really having to review what's my core about what I'm about and what I'm passionate about. And it's been a really useful exercise over the recent times to really realise that I'm really just passionate about people reaching their potential. And that's been through sport, through recreation, and, and now through working with a number of people with disability who've been able to, to reach an ultimate potential in their life. So I've really gone back and reviewed what's really important about that, about that goal and objective and what's the, what are the principles and the, and the really key traits that I need to understand and, and, and learn about that, can I, that I can then impart that knowledge onto others. And a book that I've been recent, reading recently, um, it's called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and it's a really interesting and, 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 and exhaustive exercise about what creates excellence and success in life, and what are the principles and traits that, that create success in life. And I'm really finding that by understanding those principles, there are so many parallels to the work that I've been doing over my career and particularly the work that I'm doing now with people with disability. And I see a real opportunity to put those two together and to develop some executive leadership or coaching programs that utilise those core principles about what's successful in life and it can apply to any aspect of life. But then using the examples that I've been able to, to learn from over my years about people who've been successful in a number of really challenging situations. So putting those both together into some sort of a package is something that is really interesting to me. So I'm looking for that as being a potential goal over the next period of time to really further my, my level of influence, my, my capabilities that can ultimately help others achieve the potential that they have in their lives. And how do you continue your development as a leader, it sounds as though you are very focused on you know, exploring different ideas and, and, and listening to different perspectives. Uh, how do you continue development? 
Well, there's probably a number of avenues, and we mentioned LinkedIn before, and I mean, LinkedIn is just such an incredible tool that you can use to learn so much about anything, and there's so many industry leaders in, in so many different practices and so many different areas of, of life that you can learn so much from them, and, and the amount of content that's been created on a daily basis that that's talks about the excellence that can be achieved in a whole range of different manners is really out there to, to be explored and, 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 to, and to be able to be developed. So that's a really great starting point. But also I do a lot of reading and continually reading books and, and really trying to find what are, the, what are the experts telling me that, that I can learn from, that I can then impart on my team and then potentially impart on, on others who, who, may, who may wish to, to learn from my experiences. And probably another one is, is just making the best use of your time and, and yeah, driving to work and back every day. I think listening to a podcast, there's, there's so much information that's out there that can be learned from. So there's, there's ultimately so many avenues of exploration as, uh, as your personal development continues. But I think you've got to be a little bit careful. Um, I think you can sometimes over, overindulge on, on those sorts of experiences. And, and one of the podcasts I was listening to recently was talking, uh, that Daniel Priestley was talking about was was really not trying to overcommit yourself to, to learning and really to actually start doing something. So I think what you really is important to, to not just continually be a sponge for reading and, and listening to podcasts, but actually putting those, those learnings into practice. So if you want to write a book, start to write down the chapters of the book. If you want to do a podcast, start to develop systems and practices for, for putting that into place. So I think it's really important that you start to create things out of those learnings and not just continually be on a, on a journey of listening to as many podcasts as you can or reading as many books as you can, really trying to get the essence of those, of those learnings and then actually put them into practice is the best advice. And any specific goals that you've set for the coming year? Well, I think the, the goal ultimately is, is, is as I said, to, to really look at our, our ultimate revenue generation from a number of different areas and really to make sure that, that we can continue to, to serve the people that we're wanting to serve. So I'm really excited about, about generating some new revenue products, some really opportunities to, to further our cause and to really spread the message of what we do. Because what I find is when you, when you talk to people about what we do and the outcomes that we deliver, People are really amazed about about what can be achieved and, and what's possible. So, I think that the more that we can communicate that to others and really get other organisations who are willing to come on board and to join us for, for the ride that we're on, and what they'll find is that they'll they'll get some extraordinary experiences and some extraordinary outcomes that they can really align with, and ultimately it'll make their businesses and, and their own personal lives so much richer for it. So, I'm really excited about that journey that we're about to undertake over the next 12 months. And are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? Well, I've come across recently uh, a lady called Kathy Burke, who's the CEO of uh, the Hunger Project in Australia. And she's an extraordinary individual who's really passionate about making a difference to world hunger. And most people would think of a leader of solving world hunger would be someone who is embarking on a program of... Uh, food drop-offs and, and ultimate, you know, provision of, of um, food so that people can can not be hungry. Basically, that you think someone's hungry, what you do is you provide resources so they're not hungry. But her whole approach and philosophy, which is something which is really admirable, is that no, they need to teach the local people in areas where there are hunger to be able to feed themselves and to give them empowerment 
to give them skills and strategies so that ultimately they can help feed themselves without this this sort of charity type of mentality where we have to give something to them. And I've really found that really inspiring to me in my current role because ultimately we want to make an environment where people with disability can successfully be part of a full and complete life and be active and live the best life that's possible. And so we want to allow them to be empowered to, to make differences in, in their own environments and circumstances and not simply receive handouts from us to be able to make that easier. So what's really inspiring about her is she wants to change the whole transform the whole environment where people exist to create a different world where people aren't hungry and in my situation we want to create a different world where people are being active who have a disability and it's just seen as normal and, and common so so that that's where i'm really seeing some real value in, in the work that she does and the other aspect of her work is she's written a book called unlikely leaders and it really looks at people who have very limited educational backgrounds and very limited capabilities, but she's really trying to empower them to become the best leaders that they can be so that they can be the future leaders. So it's really inspiring to think that there are leaders out there in the world who we can really engage and educate and allow them to become the best leaders that they can be. There's a huge potential for, for real transformational change without having to have dedicated university degrees and a whole range of systems and trainings to be able to do that. There's so much potential just in, in, in every single person that you meet. And where can people find out more about you and uh, disability sport and recreation? So finding out about me, I encourage people to have a look at my profile on, on LinkedIn, um, Richard Amon. If you just look up my name, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to find. Um, and there you can see a number of the, the posts and activities that I'm, that I'm putting out there to really demonstrate the work that we do and, and the value that we do. And, and hopefully people will want to connect and and have a conversation and, and, and hopefully I can help support other people in, in their journey of, of life and, and exploring their own personal potential and, and also the potential of their organisation. But our organisation, uh, Disability Sport and Recreation, the simplest way is our website, uh, www.dsr.org.au and that's probably the best way to, to find out about what we do. And any last words on leadership you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, I think we just need to, to continually re reaffirm ourselves to a greater purpose in life. And I think a lot of people need to find something that is really that they're passionate about. And, and the book that I'm reading, as I said earlier, about grit and about human success, it's really about having a passion about something. And I encourage people, if they're going to be successful in their life and leadership is one aspect of it, that they become passionate about it and really have a a real deliberate approach to becoming the best that they can be. And it's not just about being passionate. You've then got to apply a deliberate practice about becoming a better leader, learning about practices and processes and actually putting them into, in, into, into practice and learning from others about how you can become the best that you can be. So I think the, the, the best thing is to, is to really find your passion and then really follow that to its nth degree so that you can then ultimately be successful in that passion. Well, Richard, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. All the best. Thanks very much, Julian. Uh, hopefully uh, you've gained some insights and I really look forward to the podcast being successful for you and your organisation as, as you uh, go down this pathway of, of succeeding and becoming a better leader yourself. Thanks so much. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.